We are go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. Hello and welcome back to Planet 8, my fellow galactic travelers. You have been missed. Let me just say that we are here in our secret command base. I'm your mission commander, Larry. With me, as always, is your chief engineer, Bob. And circling Planet 8 in our orbital spy satellite, as always, is our reconnaissance officer, Karen. Today's mission takes us to Horror Hosts. We are very fortunate to have our friend with us today, Lord Bloodraw. Lord Bloodraw, I trust your travel to Planet 8 went uh, uneventful? Oh, my lords and ladies, yes. Um, this is my second time here in, at Planet 8, and I got a chance to uh, look around a bit. I love your uh, kind of topiary vinyl forests. Oh, wow. Amazing. I, this is the only planet in the galaxy where vinyl just grows out of the ground, isn't it? Yes, yes, it Fantastic. is. Fantastic. Uh, I, I give credit to our chief engineer, Bob. Oh. He's also a uh, uh, vinyl botanist. Ah, uh, very good. And, and so, yes. Uh, sort of a gray thumb or white thumb <laughs> or whatever. We also have some resin up in the spy satellite. We'll have to take you up there someday. Oh, please. I'd love yeah. to see it. Yeah. Uh, Karen has a resin. And uh, what other type of uh, growth do you have up there in the spy satellite, Karen? I don't know if that's proper to talk <laughs> I was going to say, that's a loaded question. How dare you, sir? Hey, we're here about horror hosts today, so let's go ahead and talk about that. Uh, growing up in the Bay Area as a kid, your horror host, de facto horror host, was the one and only Bob Wilkins. Oh, yes. And uh, Bob, Lord Bloodron, myself grew up with uh, Bob Wilkins. Uh, when Bob retired, John Stanley took over. Mm-hmm. Uh, Karen, your horror host when you were growing up? Well, uh, before I got uh, stuck on this satellite, I was uh, I, spending a lot of time in uh, the Central Coast region of California, and I uh, used to get uh, the L.A. channels, and we got a guy named Seymour. Mm. Sometimes he was called Sinister Seymour. Mm. And uh, Seymour started out on one channel, I think it was KHJ, and then went over to KTLA, Um my memories of him, this would have been in the early 70s. Um, he did a show called Monster Rally. And Seymour would come out in a, um, a fedora and a cape. And that was about it for the costume department. He was really more uh, about being really sarcastic. He would make fun of a lot of the films. And a lot of the films he got weren't necessarily high-caliber movies. 
Um, so he would often uh, uh, come in uh, uh, after scenes and, and make some really sarcastic remarks. Uh, he referred to the audience as fringies. We were his fringies because we were on the, the fringe. It's a great term. And that is, yeah. He, he had a counterpart uh the the actor Larry Vincent, the guy who played Seymour, he also had another character he would play called Banjo Billy. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Banjo Billy was just bizarre. He would wear this strange, uh, sort of like a high school band outfit, uh, this big wig, and he played the banjo. And he would sometimes appear in the movies. They would use mm. a a green screen and project Banjo Billy, like in the um, when Dracula. Uh, in the film Dracula, when he goes to the opera and he mm-hmm. meets all of the the rest of the cast, strangely enough, there's Banjo Billy sitting in the <laughs> opera box. Um, so he did a lot of crazy things like that, and he uh, was a lot of fun to watch. I remember getting a uh, joining the Seymour fan club and getting the the kit and the, with the picture and membership card. So it was a lot of fun. That's cool. uh, unfortunately. Uh, uh, Larry Vincent had cancer and uh, he was actually while he was filming the show he was being treated um, and he passed away I think I was looking it up earlier I think it was 1975 um, so he uh, he wasn't around very long but he made an impression on a lot of people in Southern California and uh, the funny thing was not long after he left that's when um, KHJ decided they needed a horror host and they went about trying to create one and years later uh, came up with Elvira. Mm. So in some ways you might see him as being a part of her lineage. So Origin story. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Well, let me ask you this, Lord Blood Rock. Mm -hmm. How did this whole thing start with uh, horror hosts, uh, television uh, shows? Well, the the big explosion of TV horror hosts came in 57 when the Shock Theater package came to TV. Mm-hmm. It was basically a package of all of the classic universal horror films and some of them that weren't all that classic <laughs> that were being brought to TV for the first time. Now, back in 1957, totally different media world than it than it is now. There were three networks, if even three networks in 57. I'm not even sure about that. Mm. I think there were three networks and um, a bunch of independent stations all over the country that were looking for content. So when Shock Theater Package came out, they were airing, they would air the movies and they got the idea, which was part of the Shock Theater promotional package, of just having somebody introduce the movies. Having a wacky, kooky character, you know, right, you know right. welcome to my dungeon, here's the movie. And some of them would get actors, bring in actors to do it. Some of them would just drag some poor guy out of the mailroom, <laughs> slap a cape on him, and do it. Uh, John Zacherly became the horror host Zacherly mm-hmm. in Philadelphia first. Um, started that way. He was an actor. He did... Um, a couple of live TV dramas mm-hmm. in Philadelphia, and um, he, one of the characters that he did was a mortician. And the people at the station basically saw him in this getup and said, "Well, hey, that would be perfect. What's you know, what do you want to? Would you like to do this?" He said, "Yes." He started as Roland mm. back then in, in fifty-seven, uh, in, in the fifties, and then went on to become Zachary later. So the big explosion was in nineteen fifty-seven. That's where you had horror hosts. All over the country, really, almost 
pop up simultaneously. Mm-hmm. But the very first TV horror host was Vampira, and she came about in 1954 oh. in Los Angeles, years before. So she never showed any of the classic Universal films. Mm-hmm. She showed um, kind of mystery movie kind of things, um, darker, darker kind of almost noirish films. Right, right. And uh, she became a huge hit. She only lasted, nobody really talks about this much, she only lasted one year. Oh. She lasted one season, but within that time, she was on the cover of Life magazine. Not on the cover, I'm sorry. She was in a big spread on uh, Life magazine, became very, very popular uh-huh. during that time because she brought sex appeal to, in, to, te- to uh, television audiences. Mm-hmm. And she was a huge hit because of that. As a matter of fact, um, there's a great documentary on Vampira called Vampira and Me where uh, they said that because of her influence, while she was on, they introduced this new character. I think it was Voluptua. And her thing was doing (laughs) romantic films in the afternoon. Oh, okay. And where Vampira was the the dark, dark hair, Mm -hmm. black dress. She was in a negligee on a bed. (laughs) (laughs) And she lasted even, even a shorter space of time. Than, than Vampire did. Why only a year, though, if she was such a hit? It it seemed to run its course in that uh, time. Just uh, not enough content to show? Was it like just repeating shows? or Maybe ahead of its time? Yeah. I don't know, because by the time 57 came out right. and the Shock Theater package happened, they were everywhere. And yeah. ever since then, you know, it's, it's ebbed and flowed, but ever since then there have been horror hosts either on, you know, independent TV stations right. or l- much later online. Yeah. But horror hosting actually goes back to radio. Mm-hmm. The very first horror host was not, well, the very first horror host on TV was Vampire. Right. The very first horror host in a broadcast medium was old Nancy, the witch of Salem. From, <laughs> I love that. From name. the witch's tale. From the Witch's Tale, 1931, which is interesting because same year Dracula and Frankenstein. Right, came out, right. right. Uh, it was uh, the first anthology horror radio show, and The Witch's Tale with Old Nancy, the Witch of Salem, and uh, every episode <laughs> she would talk to her her black cat named Satan, and you would hear Satan meowling in the background, and it was very strange. The, her introductions were very strange because she always stated her age. At the mm-hmm. beginning of it, well, Satan, today I be 113 years old today. <laughs> and the funny thing was, they never kept it linear. And the next episode should be 102. The episode <laughs> after that should be 124. It never But the. Oh, well, she was getting senile. She just she was getting number. Yeah, that's, that, that's exactly. That witch's brew. You right, know? exactly, exactly. But um, yeah, and it was a classic, you know, old time radio horror show. That was the first one. Then came The Hermit, which was basically a male version of The Witch's Tale. Then after that, it exploded. Mm-hmm. Every every radio show of of that type basically had a host. So, so was she was, it, was she hosting like like horror radio shows or horror radio shows? Oh, yeah, okay. it was an anthology anthology thing of radio dramas, right. and each they were all horror, kind of like The Shadow. But interesting, you mentioned that. <laughs> yes, because The Shadow originally th- three years before that, I believe started out just as the host mm-hmm. of Street and Smith Mysteries. Oh. 
He was like, I, I am the shadow. I yeah. know that's my da, 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 da. Now this story, and the stories had nothing to do with the character of the shadow. Hmm. It was only to promote Street and Smith Mystery Magazine. But when people went to buy the magazine, they would say, you got that shadow magazine? Mm. So they realized, oh, we've got an interesting character here. So right. they built a character around the shadow. And then he became his own Very thing. smart. So he be- he was actually the first radio host. Not really a horror host because they were kind of murder mystery things. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and it started from there. And then from radio, it went into comic books. Mm-hmm. The old EC comics, uh, Tales from the Crypt, Vault mm-hmm. of Horror, were those character the crypt keeper was influenced by the old characters That's on the true. radio hosting right. these shows right. yeah so yeah it, the whole thing goes all the way back to radio and it's still going on and kind of having a a resurgence today not only on tv but online that's interesting you know one of the things i wondered was you know with us bob wilkins he mm-hmm. chose not to dress yeah. in costume those of you lucky enough to still have me tv sven Gulli, Oh, yeah. uh, does his thing on on Saturdays, and he kind of does like a little his own makeup thing. Sure. I, I wonder, you know, and I guess it's up to everyone's taste. I'm not looking for an answer, but what would the decision be to to dress up or not dress up? Was it because they had a budget? Was it because they were just actors and wanted to, you know, do whatever? Yeah. Uh, I think it totally depended on the the TV station and the performer. Mm. The only other, I mean, yeah, Bob, both Bob Wilkins and John Stanley, neither one of them wore a costume. That's true. And the only other horror host I can think of that did not wear a costume was Chili Billy Cardill. Uh, where was he from? He was out of Philadelphia. Ah. And um, He's in Night of the Living Dead. Yes, he is. He is the reporter in Night of the yeah. Living Dead. Absolutely. Ah, I did right. not know that. That's right, yeah. yeah. George Romero was a big fan of his and put <laughs> right. him in the movie. That's yeah. right, that's right. He's the only other horror host I can think of that didn't wear some form of, of costume or some form huh. of, you know. Other than me, of course. I mean, the eyebrows and the top hat and everything. That's where I dress every day. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it's like Mr. Lobo. Always dresses like uh, Mr. Lobo. Yes, that's true. For the most that is part. true. I mean, I went to drop a poster off to him one time, and uh, he was taking his kids to the uh, aquarium or whatever. Right. And uh, so I figured, okay, well, he's going to be, you know, Jeans, T-shirt, something. No, he was dressed Mr. Lobo to yeah. the hill. I, I was, was at Will uh, Vajaro's birthday party, uh, a surprise party. Uh, so it must have been 50 or something like Will that. Will Vajaro being another host. Yeah, yes. Another host, Will right. Uh, Will the Thrill of Thrillville Theater. Right. Uh, his wife planned a surprise party, so I was texting people and whatever because Will didn't know we were going to be there. And Lobo shows up as Lobo. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like, okay, well, you know, go for it. He never, uh, yeah. I understand yeah. he sleeps in that suit. I mean, yeah, he's he's well, never out of that suit. Right, and Lobo, for those of you who don't know Mr. Lobo on... on uh, Cinnamon Insomnia. Cinnamon Insomnia. Yeah. It's not like Balrog from Creepy Coffee Movie Time who has the prosthetic mask and, and all that stuff. Lobo's in a suit and glasses. Yeah. And a sharp-looking suit, too. Well, he was very much... Uh, very much uh, in the Bob Wilkins vein. I mean, oh, yeah. He was inspired yeah. by Bob Wilkins. Yeah. And, oh, yes. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, Bob Wilkins didn't have makeup but he had the cigar and the rocking chair and the skull with the candle and all oh, yeah, sure. so he had his yeah. gimmicks uh, right there. there were affectations yeah. definitely that he took on yeah exactly so. and uh yeah it's been going strong ever since then you know uh, it, it, one interesting story because i mentioned going on um finding horror hosts online right the first horror host to go online with a show was count gore Duvall out of Washington, D.C., and he'd hmm. been doing a show 
for years out of Washington, D.C. It's called Creature Features, as a matter of fact. There are mm-hmm. a plethora of shows across the country mm-hmm. called Creature Features around that time. And he was very popular around the area, but he was also an employee of the station and a producer. So the producer said, well, you know, we're going to pull you off of um, Creature Features and we'll bring it back sometime, but we need to start working on these other shows. So he did that, and the short hiatus turned into a couple of years. They bring him back for some Halloween specials, things like that. Oh, it yeah, turned into a yeah. lot. And then it got into the nineties, and he's like, "Well, I wonder if I wonder what people are saying about Gore Duvall." And he looked himself up, and it said, "Well, ex horror host Gore Duvall." Hmm. And he didn't take that well. He said, "No, I'm not ex anything. What can I do about this?" He was the first person to go to the internet and realize you can do an entire weekly show solely on the internet so he built himself a studio in his basement and he's been going strong ever since you can see you can check him out search uh, gore duvall That's he does cool. a weekly show presenting horror movies having guests on now let me ask you are there different rules for um showing movies on the internet versus television i know there's licensing you know like can he show the original dracula no. uh so it'd have to be public yeah, domain. No, it's got to be public domain. Same rules. Yeah, unless you're paying ridiculous broadcast yeah. uh, licensing fees. Anything that you show, either on broadcast TV or um, unless you you're lucky enough to work for a station that has the library uh-huh. or has the licensing, you know, um, which uh, is Spenguli. hard to come by with cable. Oh, well, I was going to oh, say yeah, so there you go with yeah. cable. Yeah, so. Spenguli with MeTV, they've got the Universal license. Yeah. He's presenting the classics. But both online and um, broadcast, you've, you've got to keep it to public domain. Well, you know, and I know there was another thing with uh, Zombu up in Reno. Yes. He had made mention that they were having trouble. Um, within certain hours, you have to have closed captioning available. Oh, yeah. And, and if you don't have closed <clears throat> captioning available on, on network television, you can only go in like, you know, this twilight hour of like 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. or something like that. Uh, no, you know, I don't quite know what the law is there. I know that uh, the two stations I'm on in the mid, the two regular broadcast stations I'm on in mm-hmm. the Midwest, My 59 in Peoria and My TV Fort Wayne, I'm on uh, 10 p.m. Saturday nights, mm-hmm. and those stations are closed captioning exempt. Really? So I don't have to close caption those. Maybe it's because they're secondary stations on a broadcast. Zombu is an ABC station, I think, the last time I checked. That could be. Maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe it was, that's the explanation. Yeah. yeah, I'm not quite sure. Anyway, we'll have yeah. to have them on the show sometime yeah. and find definitely, out. It definitely adds to the cost of doing, adds to the cost of doing, doing a show. Yeah, yeah. Which, is, which is rough. And, I mean, you've been doing this for how long now? This is the 10th. As a matter of fact, I've got a show coming up. Uh, well, actually, no, I just finished these shows at uh, the Chenard Winery. It's my 10th season, mm. and that's where I started. So I've been doing this for 10 years. The, the TV show, yeah, the TV uh, show is, is in its eighth season now. Okay, and, and as far as finding um, public domain, I mean, is, is it getting tougher, or do more films get added to the public domain each year? I, you know... More films, I would say, fall out of the public domain really? than they do come into it. Yeah, you'll come across films. Well, for example, I f- found a film called uh, King of Kong Island, or uh-huh. Kong Island for sure. Yeah. Researched it, like, oh, yes, it's public domain, public domain. I checked all, all the sources that I could find, so it's public domain. Wrote an episode, filmed an episode, sent it out to the stations. And somewhere in the middle of the week, I found this list of... Films that were in the public domain and not public domain. I thought, oh, this will be handy, you know. 
going through, sure enough, King of Kong, King of Kong Island, not public domain anymore because some company huh. supposedly bought the rights. Huh. And and then and there's something I don't understand either. If something is in the public domain, that means nobody nobody owns the rights. Right. So if you buy the rights, who are you buying the rights from? <laughs> That's a great question. How someone does that someone work? has to go back and claim it. Yeah. Well, for me, I'm, I'm into the Japanese stuff, obviously. Yes, yeah. And everybody thinks the Gamera films are in public domain. They're not in public domain. Kodansha, who bought Dae, owns those films. All of them. All of them. None every of them single are in the one. Domain. And they will tell you they own every single one. Now, some people are getting away in a sort of gray area by instead of showing like. Uh, Gamma versus Viros, they'll show the old TV print of Destroy All Planets right. and say, well, that's public domain. Well, technically it's not, you know, but, you know, they kind of fly under the radar. But I found know. some Gamma movies on DVD at like Dollar Tree. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah, I'm yeah. not sure. Well, who. that'll be like Attack of the Monsters and Return of the Giant Monsters. And they're all the old beat up TV prints. Huh. Now, if you, there is a Gamera box set yeah. that has them all pristine, subtitled, blah, 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 those are, you know, that's the official box set. Yeah. So you but, would-be horror hosts out there, make sure you do your research so you don't get sued <laughs> by the man. <laughs> and that horror host, that uh, horror host, that research is getting harder and harder. It really is. Because huh. you'll, you'll, you'll run into people who say, well, I, I own, we own the rights to that. And they don't. They just simply want to want to sue people who say that they are. Wow. You'll run into things where uh, you know they they don't own the film, but they own a clip it a, a clip of the soundtrack because hmm. they used it in a song somewhere. And this movie includes that clip, so you can't use the you know. There's a well-known schlock film called Ega. Mm-hmm. I, I know uh, the film well. Archall Senior is in. Archall Junior is is in it. Yeah, Richard Keel. Ray Richard Keel as the giant caveman. Yeah. yeah. Um, did it on my show. I put it on YouTube. I don't put much on YouTube anymore, but I put it up on YouTube. Got a copyright hit on one song in the movie. Just just one song. Not the rest of the songs. There are like four or five songs in the movie. Yeah. Just one song. So I just said, all right. So I just clipped that clip that one out. The rest oh, of the movie is public domain. It's now, the Wild West out there as far as that goes. It's <laughs> really? very rough to... Well, I know, like, image... For a while there, yeah. there was, uh, God, what's the guy's name, Wade? Wade Williams. Wade Williams. Yes. And he'll take a public domain title right. or film right. and maybe put a different font title or something. He'll, yeah. he'll do something to change a little bit of it, and then he'll trademark that whole film as his. Right. That's right. And he'll claim he owns it, and then he'll sell it to you know, Image or whatever. That's right. And, That's so uh, skunky. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the most popular public domain movie, I believe... Is Night of the Living Dead? Yes, and that was oh, just because George Romero forgot to trademark the title right, right. back when he because it was originally Night of the Ghouls. No, Night of the Flesh Eaters. Flesh Eaters. Night of the Flesh Eaters. Yeah. So when he changed it to Night of the Living Dead, he didn't think about oh, I better trademark this. Right. Well, and, and that it was fell in the public domain for decades. Oh yeah. Well, it was literally they changed the title card because that Night Night of the Flesh Eaters with the copyright signal there. They changed the title card, Night of the Living Dead, forgot to put the mark on there. So when it was released, it was public domain. Wow. Yeah. Now, did, did he ever, because that, that might answer your question, how do you take something that's in the public domain 
and and license it then after that or, or copyright it or whatever the term is the upgrades of the film now uh, the pristine copies of it now okay. the are, 50th anniversary blue weight blu-ray digital right, blah 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 right where okay. that's absolutely pristine copies of it my understanding is that those are copywritten but again it's such a gray area mm. you well know? didn't didn't romero find an older print that had like scenes in it that yeah that's and so coming he out copyrighted yeah. that print right. right so you know well he's he's gone now he's but gone. the estate of romero i guess would then own that print along with hmm. all the other yeah dead titles yeah but. yeah and this is something you know this is a very recent thing that horror hosts have had well first of all this is something horror hosts in the past never had to deal with because that was all legal. That was all the TV station. Right. That was all something that they you know, they did. The, they uh, did it. They right. took care of it. The horror host was just the just the performer. Mm-hmm. Now the the big difference with horror hosts today is we are fans of everything that went before and we're pretty much doing it ourselves. You know, I mean, some yeah, some are affiliated with TV stations and uh, you know some have contracts with stations or are lucky enough to do that. But a lot of us out there are just doing it on our own. You know, we're doing the research ourselves, writing it ourselves, filming ourselves, editing ourselves. And and then you just, you know, put it out there on the market for whoever wants to Yeah. Yeah, pretty mm-hmm. much. Or just or just go straight to the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you shoot an episode with a movie that you believe is in public domain, yeah. like King of Kong Island right. or whatever. Yeah. And then you find out it's not in public domain. I called him and told him pull it. After it has aired. Oh well. Does that ever happen? What kind of After repercussions no. are there? I mean, do the, the studios actually come back and say, hey, that's ours? And I'm, I'm very lucky in that I've never gotten a cease right. and desist. Mm. So, um, and the, the uh, uh, Kong Island uh, example, I was lucky enough to find it and call them and say, put on it, pull that episode, put on a repeat, because mm. it's this, you know, I found evidence that this film might not be public domain. So I try to be as scrupulous as I can mm-hmm. when it comes to that. But uh, no, lucky. Luckily, I haven't aired any movies that uh, came I'm, back to bite you. Came back to bite me. Yeah, yeah that's a good. Way to put it. Yeah. Exactly. Let me ask you this, Lord Bloodraw. One yes. of the things that we enjoyed with creature features here in the Bay Area mm. was, uh, you know, obviously Bob and John Stanley would go out and make mini movies. Yes. Mean, th- those were a lot of fun. But yeah. they'd also interview. Uh, God, uh, Bob interviewed. Boris Karloff, oh, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, John had, um, oh, oh, so many people. Yeah. Ray Bradbury, I, I Christopher gonna, Lee. Yeah, Christopher yeah, Lee, that's yeah. what I was thinking of. Robert Block. Uh, how do, you know, there, there are some hosts who would just have their in-house, in-house shtick, mm-hmm. and some would have these guests come in was the studios would they package something like that as well where they'd have like a you know because because these guys didn't have new films coming out per se but somehow they were able to go out there and interview them do you know any background and i think as far as like john and bob went though that was purely contacting these people's agents saying we've got this show and saying hey yeah yeah Mm -hmm. um modern horror hosts uh the best shot you've got of celebrity interviews are going to a convention and, and, and saying, hey, you know, would you mind sitting down for a couple of minutes and I, so I can interview? That's that's um, the way um, Svengoolie does a lot of his interviews mm-hmm. or at uh, conventions. He'll have people come into the studio. But most of the interviews I've seen him do have been at uh, various conventions. Hey, Karen, do you have MeTV available in the uh, satellite? Uh, I don't believe so. Okay, mm. so you don't know who Svengoolie is. Or have you ever... 
No, I mean, you know, sometimes I'll see some clips on the internet, yeah. mm-hmm. which we have, but uh, no, I don't have MeTV. I know you guys talk about it a lot. I'm kind of like, ah, oh, I wish well, I had We that. used to have MeTV, but they took it away from the various yeah. stations. Um, yeah. Still kills me. Yeah. yeah. But as far as I, I know, Karen, you shared your horror host growing up with, mm-hmm. have you caught any of these people out on the internet? Like, I, I know you know Lobo, Mr. Lobo, because... You know, we well, all used to go to Will's Thrillville yeah, shows. Yeah, I was going to say he actually uh, he reminded me of Gomez Adams, but but yeah, you know, I have seen a few people here and there on the internet, and I mean, I, that's the beauty of it, right? Is you don't necessarily. It's just like. Um, Everybody else, you can have a blog, you can have whatever, you can have a, a yeah. presence on the internet. You don't necessarily have to be a part of a TV studio anymore, right? So these guys can can do their thing, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's I'm sure there's pluses and minuses, just just like with um, you know writing or anything, any other activity where you're trying to to get some sort of uh, product out to people. But oh, yeah. you know, yeah, it's, you it have would a just be harder to find a film in the. Yeah, that's what, true. Uh, I guess there, one thing I was wondering about, though, is sort of like so. There's there's all these different horror hosts mm-hmm. kind of popping up all over the the country now, and mm-hmm. definitely a lot of you guys know each other. You mm-hmm. connect. So I'm just wondering what sort of you know culture develops. How you guys you know if you share tips and tricks with each other, if little rivalries develop. If everyone's you know, enemies. <laughs> I didn't want to go there, but you know, just like yeah, it's like do you have ways to like help each other out as far as like with technical issues and then you know, do do people develop friendships? If somebody starts moving in on somebody's turf, do people say, Hey, you know, that ain't cool? What's what's it like being a, a horror host in the modern age? All of the above is true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean you'll get yeah, you'll get rivalries, you'll get friendships, you'll get uh will uh, contribute to each other's shows from time to time. Uh, there are um, online horror host channels where we'll, we'll um, submit episodes to, and they run, and then we go on and chat with each other, and audiences come in and chat with us. Um, it's, it's almost like anything else. You know, friendships develop, friendships fall out. Um, a lot of the conversation, most of the conversation is on the technical end, like you know, like we just had, is this film public domain? Uh, where can you? How do you distribute? How do you do this? How do you do that? But uh, as far as um, the writing and the production of the show, it's all very individual and very unique. We're all because because we're we're all pretty much doing it on our own by ourselves. It always reflects the personality of the person hosting the movie. And sure. um, there are so many different ways to do this. I mean, some newer hosts take the kind of Mystery Science Theater 3000 approach to it and will break into the movie mm-hmm. every few lines. Uh, some won't. I don't. I, I uh, mostly uh, push in and out of commercials. You know, yeah. So in any episode mm-hmm. I'm in, maybe um, I'll have maybe uh, 10, to, 10 to 14 segments where I'll comment on the movie. Sometimes I'll... I'll punch in in the middle of a movie if I've got something I've got to comment in on right then and there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you mentioned interviews. I don't do a lot of interviews. I've done a few, but the thing with, with my show is I I like to have the 
uh, audience feel like I am watching the movie with them. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, hey, did you see that? Did you notice that? Or I'll do a comedy bit based on something in the movie. With me, it's all about the film. I'm mm-hmm. presenting this film and trying to add entertainment value to, to the film. That's why I'm there. That's why I'm there. I'm not interested in doing a a sitcom or a talk show Mm -hmm. or anything like that. I'm presenting this movie and trying to make this film as as entertaining as possible. And there are a lot of other uh, hosts out there that that do it that way as well. Yeah, they have their own little style. Everybody does. Everybody does, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, But the interesting thing is we are all kind of limited to that finite pool. Of what's in the public domain. Yeah, what's in the public domain. Yeah, that's right. Well, if there of, was one of, movie you could you could show regardless of let's say you know okay we don't care if it's in public domain or not you've been given you know special dispensation oh. and you can show show this just one movie what what would that movie be that it could do on the TV show yeah House of yeah. Frankenstein oh wow House of Frankenstein yeah definitely. why is that. Um, it's one of the best monster rally movies. Um, <laughs> it's got almost everybody in it, not Lugosi, but you know, it's got the, uh, you'll take Carradine. I'll take Carradine. I'll take Carradine <laughs> as Dracula. No problem. Uh, and it's just uh representative of that whole universal monster world in a way that, uh, a few other, a few other of the films are. I mean, this is really the one. Yeah, before this in the Universal films, you had um, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, which was the beginning of the monsters coming together. But in House of Frankenstein, that's where, okay, everybody in the pool. You know, that's where every, everybody's mm-hmm. here. So, yeah, if I, could, if I could film an episode and a special, like, like you say, dispensation to do it, that's the one I would do. Speaking about that, though, the funny thing is when I do my live shows... I can host anything as long as the theater takes care of the licensing. Because I have hosted all of the classic Universal films. I've hosted um, a lot of the Hammer horror films. I've hosted, you know, non-public domain horror films live because there you can license. And the licenses are affordable. For broadcast, it's, you know, thousands of dollars. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And I I can't say this enough. These live shows are so much fun, and and uh, entertaining. Uh, I'm I keep going back to to Thrillville. There was one oh, show yeah. where Will had horror host Palooza, <laughs> and there were uh, you know four or five guys who were uh, doing their their kind of horror hosting. I don't know if any of you guys were at that I show. I was there. Yeah. I was there. It was before I started before hosting, started but I was hosting. there. Yeah. I kind of was, let's see, Dr. Goldfinger maybe Dr. was Goldfinger, there. Dr. Goldfinger, Son yeah, of Lobo. You're right. I, I think I was I there. I think they had Son of Ghoul there, too. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And and Will has all this up on his, his uh, Facebook and and uh, web page. Uh, Lord Bloodraw, it yeah. was really great watching the uh, Creatures Con uh, you guys oh. put on where you had uh, how many horror hosts? Uh, five. Five on, on, on one, one film. One film. Yeah. How does the licensing stuff uh, play out in, in that kind of a live show? I mean, the theater worked with you all, or was it the the um, actual convention that, that uh, got the films? I mean, what, what kind of process? Uh, being it's a one-time presentation... Mm-hmm. Especially in the in the past, uh, for 
for Monster Palooza, uh, not Monster Palooza, for Creatures Con, <laughs> we just kind of showed basically what we wanted to show. Okay. And we tried to concentrate on rarities. Mm-hmm. But now, uh, with Creatures Con kind of stepping out into a broader light, mm-hmm. we're going with rare public domain films. And mm-hmm. we're trying to pick the best of the films that we, we possibly can. Yeah. And it's always a surprise. Every year, we, we do not announce the film that we're going to show. We always leave it as a as a surprise for the audience. And, but that, it's a uh, lot of fun. That um, feature of Creatures Con is called Mega Chiller Theater. Mega Chiller Theater. Yeah, and it's set up just like, you know, it's late night, Saturday night, kick back, and there's a whole intro that goes with it, and then uh, five different horror hosts at different times do different segments throughout the movie. Now, now let me ask you this other yeah. question. You're, you're uh, filming an episode... What's the most amount it takes? You know, I, I have some tongue twisters here oh. on the podcast, and it's like, okay, wait, let me let me center here. Uh, <laughs> you care to speak on how, what's your record? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I rarely count them. Uh, it's uh, it 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 so depends. It really mm. depends because I'll I'll write the script. And then usually won't film for like a couple of days. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like, okay, I'm writing the script and this is what I've written. Okay, then a couple of days later, when I'm in front of the camera, I'll look at it and say, oh, really? I got to memorize this now? (laughs) And um, it's always, it's, I will always do multiple takes and then pick the best take out of it. But there are some words that are harder, you know, to get your mouth around than more. There are some where, as a matter of fact, I've started collecting bloopers now. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't before, but I've started collecting bloopers now to put them in the uh, New Year's Eve special shows that go. I do. That'll be fun. But uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes I've cracked myself up saying something totally stupid, trying to get a word out. And there's nothing there's nothing more pathetic than a man by himself in front of a camera laughing. <laughs> 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 laughing at something he just said. You know, yeah, it's like, oh, good Lord, what am I doing? Well, it's funny because like Keith Aiken and I, who we do Sci-Fi Japan on the side here, uh-huh. We did the audio commentary for Terror Mechagodzilla. So if you find that DVD out there, we're on there. Um, and when it, came, when it came to stumbling over words, we're saying all these Japanese names and things, and we'd stumble over, like, the most simple word sure. you could ever think of. Sure. You know, and, and you'd get this block. Then you'd do it over and over, and you just, like, get to that one word, and you just can't get past it. Yes. It just keeps biting you, but... I have a feature on my show called the Cranial Cavity Search, <laughs> which is a trivia question. Mm-hmm. And one of them was, I don't remember the question, but it was on, uh, it was on a kaiju film, probably, probably a Godzilla film. And at the end of it, um, I said something about the city of Japan. I went on, <laughs> but it took that take. And then I'm looking at it, and I just, well, no, I'm looking through editing. I'm like, oh, I said city of Japan in that take. I said it in that take too. I said it in every take. The idiot. City of Japan, you moron. So I just turned it into a joke. So I just ran a little Chiron underneath and said, City of Japan? Question mark. Oh, there <laughs> you go. <laughs> so just if you if you make a mistake, just point it out and laugh at it. There you go. Point it out and laugh at yourself. Yeah. If well, you catch it. Yeah. 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 So let me kick it up to the satellite. Karen, we're coming towards the end of the podcast. Any last thoughts, comments, questions? No, it's been thoroughly entertaining. That I, I, I have to say, I don't know much about horror hosts, but now I feel like I, I know a lot more than I did when we started. Um, so, uh, yeah, just uh, in, enjoying the conversation today, and uh, 
many thanks to uh, Lord Bloodraw for yeah. uh, oh, filling us in. Thank you. Here, here. Let's uh, check with our chief engineer. Well, you know, I think I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, in the growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area. Yes, we had Bob Wilkins and, and that, but Channel Forty Four was a Kaiser station, mm-hmm. and for a couple years there, they had the Ghoul mm-hmm. on from Cleveland, and he mm-hmm. was he was syndicated and he was here. I, that the Ghoul was kind of like. Yes, I love Bob Wilkins and I love John Stanley, but the Ghoul was just—I was like my horror host. I felt like, oh yeah, and uh, he actually sprung from Goulardi, who, mm-hmm. if you want to cover Goulardi, he had quite an interesting career path. Oh, horror yeah. host. He's probably the the horror host that made it beyond horror hosts. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, he did absolutely. So. Right, yeah, he. Um was an amazing performer. Uh, mm-hmm. Beatnik, how would you describe He was kind of a... a yeah, he was like a beatnik Transylvania beatnik kind of a thing. thing right? And he'd wear like a fright wig and you know, glasses with one lens popped out and a goatee. And, right. Yeah. Exactly. And um, actually, before he started doing that, I mean, he was a, he was a well-known fixture on uh, TV in that area. He and Tim Conway right. were a comedy team. Ernie oh, Anderson. Wow. Ernie Tim Anderson Conway, and Tim Conway. Yeah. That's right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and then Tim Conway came out to Hollywood to do uh, McHale's Navy mm-hmm. and said, you ought to come out here, you ought to come out here. So he did, and shortly after that, he became the announcer for ABC. He's the, he's the yeah, voice he's of the, the voice. Love Boat. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. There was no the Love Boat. Right. And he was yeah, also on the, or, the original uh, America's Funniest Home Video. That's right. Oh, really? Right. Yeah. 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 Wow. He was the announcer on that. Yeah. Very oh. distinct voice. Yeah. And yeah. such a fun, I mean... Yeah. Host, I mean, just off, off the top of his, well, his head, constantly. Goulardi, I don't know if you want to call it beatnik or whatever dialect. Uh, yeah, and you know, I mean, my screen name on online has been Big Kniff right. since the beginning of <laughs> the early stages of the internet, right. because that was like his term, and the, the ghoul picked up on it. Stay sick, turn blue, right? Yeah. Big, mm-hmm. you know, this Kniff, he's got some money over here. But, right, yeah. Yeah, so um, it was basically Fink backwards is what it was. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, it was like, but he had all his own, you know, little terms and, oh, yeah. you know, cool. bagging on Parma and the whole <laughs> kind of <laughs> Polish, you know, oh, yeah. people over there and everything. And, it, and he kind of, sp- he spawned two different horror hosts, not only... Um, yeah. The Ghoul, mm-hmm. but also Son of Ghoul, but also Sven, the original Sven Gulli, and, and the original Sven Gulli. You're yeah. right. Yeah, so three. You're absolutely right. right. Because the Sven Gulli, who's on yes. MeTV, is not right. the original Sven Gulli. No, no, he that took was, it over from. He was Jerry he was Bishop. son of Sven Gulli right. for a while. In fact, that was syndicated in the San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and then he dropped the Son of like long after anyone remembered who Sven Gulli was, but. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But the the ghoul was an explosion on yeah. TV. Just, I mean, literally, he would literally blow things up. Well, to this, yeah, <laughs> to this day, he and, still does stuff. But yeah. yeah, no, we is he still around? Is he still doing yeah, things? Yeah, he does a lot of live stuff and all that. Oh, I'd um, see back in, uh, I want to say it was uh, late two thousands, whatever. I can't remember the date now, but <laughs> we did a, a a show like a Halloween show. Where we showed Frankenstein versus the creature from Blood Cove. Oh yeah, and uh, we had Bill Winkler, the producer director, up and all the cast and everything else. And we thought, well, 
what would we like, what would make this, like, perfect? Let's get the ghoul. And we brought the ghoul out, and uh, Ron Swede came out. And it's really funny, because Ron Swede is a very quiet guy. But as soon as he puts on that wig and the goatee and all, and the glasses, boom, he's the wow. ghoul. And, uh, yeah, he just put on an amazing show for that. But, um, yeah, I mean, Goulardi, like I say, you know, he unfortunately passed away, but mm. up until he did, he was definitely the voice of ABC, and he would be the one that would talk about, you know, next week on ABC, mm-hmm. blah, 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 and, uh, and do all the announcing for all of that. Amazing voice on that yeah. guy. Yeah. And so just sharp and comedic. And oh, yeah. Great, yeah. And the thing I loved about his show, too, is that uh, the cameraman and the sound men, you constantly hear them laughing at him. You can constantly yeah, he hear them that, enjoying Because he'd be yeah. talking to them and everything. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Awesome. Yep. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this takes us to the part of the program where we have a sensor sweep. But being that we have our friend and special guest, Lord Bloodraw, we're going to give him the mic and let him plug some of his uh, shows and uh, where to find him on the interwebs and uh, Lord Bloodraw. Well, my lords and ladies, I invite you to check out my website, lordbloodraw.com. That's L-O-R-D-B-L-O-O-D-R-A-H dot com. Uh, to check out uh, the live events I've got coming up. Uh, let's see. On the 13th, I'll be at the Landmark Cinema in Peoria, Illinois, where I'm going to be showing a double feature of Grave of the Vampire and Horror Express. Mm-hmm. We've got some uh, Halloween-type uh, surprises going to be happening that night. And then I've got a special double feature coming up at the Ream Theater in Moraga on October 20th. And uh, those movies are yet to be announced. I'm holding them off. They're going to be a big surprise, but right. uh, it's going to be a fun. Uh, it's going to be a fun event coming up uh, in October to help everybody celebrate their Halloween. Great. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Lord Bloodraw. And on that note, uh, this concludes this transmission. I want to wish you all a very happy and safe Halloween. Enjoy the tricks. Enjoy the treats. Be good to each other. If you're looking to be part of the podcast and get involved in the conversation, you can find us at planet8podcast.blogspot.com. We're also over on Twitter at Planet8Cast. You can find us on our Facebook page at Planet8Podcast. Be good to each other. Have fun. We'll see you next episode. Thank you, each and every one of you, for tuning in. Share this podcast with your friends. This will end our transmission we are signing off from planet eight trick or treat oh well let me see if i have something for you (laughs) when boils and ghouls ring my bell mr lobo fills their pillowcases well but tricking traders i'm warning you if you knock on my door then the trick's on you Sour mothballs, life or death savers, apples that double as disposable shavers, a few dust bunnies and some rusty nuts, hamster pellets and Reese's lung butter cups, some Halloween candy sure does the trick, mint pocket lint and Mr. Salt Lake, grandma's expired meds from when she was sick. 
gummy erasers and corduroy chafers. But first things first, um, do you mind signing this waiver? Refried jelly beans for all you rookies. Confrontation hearts and misfortune cookies. Lipo suckers and a half-eaten wiener. I sure hope your mom's one hell of a screener. Some Halloween candy sure does the trick. All right, you know how this works. Open your bags. One for you. Caramel-coated shrapnel and a cherry rash. Some medical waste that I saved from the trash. Barbara Hershey's miniatures and wingnut brittle. <laughs> Just like the kind from when Mr. Lobo was little. Frostbites, bug lights, tasty pins. Look out, jagged lids from old cat food tins. Horse and milk and double-dip Lego blocks. Chocolate-covered femurs dusted with chalk. Some Halloween candy shirt does the trick. So insomniacs, when you rang my bell, Mr. Lobo filled your pillowcases well. But tricking traders, I warned you twice, the treats you take home won't be so nice. Black-covered shoppers and angry tears, marshmallow night terrors and chronic diarrheas, puking all night in a plastic pumpkin pail. <laughs> it's almost worth going to jail. Some Halloween candy sure does the trick. Ha 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 